Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. My name is Andy McLenahan, and today my guests and I will explore the role of experts by experience in shaping and informing social work education. We'll discuss what the role of expert by experience entails, how universities can avoid tokenism and ensure meaningful engagement, and we'll examine the benefits for social work students, people who use services, and the experts by experience themselves. I'm really pleased to be joined by Rebecca Regler, who earlier this year wrote in the British Journal of Social Work about her journey from being a social worker to a service user to an expert by experience. And also Cherie Carlton, Senior Lecturer and Programme Lead for the MA in Social Work Practice at Middlesex University. Rebecca, Sherry, welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. How are you guys doing? Rebecca, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I don't often get asked how I am, so yes, I'm well, thank you. Um, Cherie, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Good, and thanks for joining us. Uh, You guys didn't know this, but this is the third anniversary of Let's Talk Social Work. This episode is going to be published on the 2nd of November, and our first episode ever was on the 4th of November 2020. So we're three years in. It seems like a blink of an eye to me. This is episode 68. Thanks for being here for what is... A moment, let's just say that, yes. I'll mark this as a moment in the podcast history. Um, Let's get started. Rebecca, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? I mentioned in the introduction that you trained as a social worker. You're now an expert by experience. Um, What's your journey been like since you trained as a social worker? So I graduated um, from a BA in social work in 2014. Um, And I was really excited about starting my career in social work, very, very passionate about making a difference. Um, But unfortunately, shortly after I graduated, I became very unwell. Um, I had a a severe infection, um, which triggered a lot of of conditions. Um, And eventually I was uh, diagnosed with a connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, And I became disabled um, and became a wheelchair user and my life was essentially turned upside down um, and it was a it was a very difficult journey um, and I was I was very unwell for a period of time um, I still live with the challenges of of this condition um, but I wanted to see how I could still use my degree and uh, still make a difference in social work education and in social work um, more widely um, so that's when I decided to use my experience of becoming disabled as an expert by experience and kind of combine my academic knowledge of social work with my lived experience knowledge that I had just gained. And in terms of those insights and that lived experience knowledge you have gained, how significant has that been in highlighting the ways that society disadvantages and discriminates against disabled people? So I can only speak from my own experience, really, but it was a whole education for me um, of the inaccessibility of the world for a start in terms of a wheelchair user being a wheelchair user. There's so many places that I still can't get into. um, And that's obviously very challenging. Um, And I think it's important that when I'm talking to social work students, I highlight that inaccessibility um, and things that you can do to make your practice more accessible for people. Um, But I think also thinking about the wider sphere of of disability and what I've learned from other people about, you know, some disabilities not being visible and everyone having unique needs and really the importance of social workers being able to ask people what their access needs are, what their wider needs are and being able to adapt their care for them. 
And if you could compare your level of awareness now compared to your level of awareness when you graduated in 2014, is it night and day? I mean, did you have any kind of understanding of of those issues? Um, I definitely had some understanding. And I think I had the academic kind of knowledge about, you know, the medical and social model of disability, but also we had experts by experience on our course. So I learned a lot from them um, about the challenges that they face. But I guess there was... um, an, an awakening for on a personal level of having that lived experience and really being able to experience what that what those challenges are like um, on an individual level. And the extent to which uh, students do learn from experts by experience is going to be absolutely central to what we talk about. We're going to come back to that shortly. Um, but I'm keen to know um, how you became involved, Rebecca, as an expert by experience in social work education. How did that come about? So. I was I was thinking about how I could combine my my lived and learnt experience, um, and I remembered that on on the course that I was on, we had experts by experience, and they had a, a profound impact on my learning, and so I really thought, how can how can I do that really? Um, and so I uh, approached my local university, and they were incredibly supportive. Um, this is Oxford Brookes University. Um, and I was an expert by experience with them for a few years. And um, they really helped me develop my skills and my confidence. Um, and to the extent where they supported me to become, I recently became an associate lecturer with them um, and have had fantastic support. Um, and I'm able to to work as an associate lecturer just a few hours a week, which fits in with my health challenges. But also I was keen to have um, a wider experience of being an expert by experience. So I joined the the team at Think Ahead that are based at Middlesex University with Cherie um, and again had a fantastic experience, felt really supported um, and a really valued role. And I think what I learned about being an expert by experience is it's not just about, you know, kind of being rolled in to share your experience and then you leave it's really integrated and meaningful in the courses that I've been involved in and it's it's about being involved um beyond just sharing your experience but also with the wider aspects of the course so with assessments of students for readiness for direct practice um being involved in curriculum reviews and things like that so it's it's been a a fantastic journey um and it's really helped me personally kind of process my experiences too I'm just thinking back to an episode we made some time ago I've worked a couple of times with a a campaigner called Dominic Waters Uh, Dominic is a food poverty campaigner and he talks about his living experience of food poverty and I always think think that's a really interesting way and helpful way to look at it because Rebecca your experience will be constantly evolving mm-hmm. and con- constantly deepening because it's lived experience sometimes makes you think it's something which has happened to you not something which is continuously happening to you. Yeah I think that's a really good point I think particularly with disability it's it for me it's it's a living experience as you say and I'm constantly learning um, and and growing and as my experiences change um, you know there's new things that I can share with uh, with students. Sherry um, Rebecca was saying when she was studying so Rebecca were you 2011 to 2014 is yes. that was the three years there were lived experience people with lived experience sorry um, involved in her course now I understand it's been mandatory to involve service users and carers in social work education since 2002 where does that mandate come from is that a requirement of the social work regulator? Yes, uh, it originally came from the Department of Health requirements for social work training. Back then, it was the General Social Care Council who were the regulating body. And we've obviously been through 
the um, the changes to regulators, the HCPC and now Social Work England. So it is in the um, 2021 Education and Training Standards. Um, so social work courses are obviously shaped by the needs and the kind of current evidence base around academia, the needs of employers and um, practitioners, but you, but also people with lived experience are included within within that. So there's a, I guess an a, an evolving curriculum which is evidence informed, but also kind of reflects the the kind of demands of the, that practitioners are seeing in the sector. Um, so although it is a requirement for social work training uh, that uh, lived experience is to be included. Um, across all parts of the degrees, uh, it doesn't tell us how that you know how that should be carried out. So um, it doesn't prescribe how universities go about meeting the remit in partnership with um, experts by experience. Thank you, Sherry. Um, Rebecca, in an earlier answer, touched on some of the ways she's involved as an expert by experience. Um, course design, course evaluation were a couple of points, I think, Rebecca, that you shared. Could we just, for kind of completeness, um, if you could both help me uh, understand the various different ways that experts by experience will be involved in social work education. Sherry, could you kick us off? Yeah, um, experts by experience are involved in, in all levels of um, the delivery of, of social work education from um uh, recruitment of students onto programs, so through the assessment process, um, around curriculum content um, and curriculum review, um, but also through assessments. And I know uh, Rebecca mentioned the readiness for direct practice assessments, um, but also in direct teaching uh, and learning in a range of um, kind of formats, if you like. So from uh, ex- uh, lived experience lectures to um, to kind of co-produced uh, teaching with uh, academic uh, social workers and uh, experts by experience co-designing and delivering uh, teaching, but also in seminars and workshops. So there is a range of ways in which lived experience is kind of woven throughout the um the, the social work curriculum. Something I'm really keen to know about is how you ensure the involvement of experts by experience is meaningful and whether there have been any cases you know of where experts by experience have been included in a tokenistic or maybe we could say suboptimal way. How do you, first of all, we ensure that involvement is meaningful? I think I've been incredibly fortunate at both Oxford Brooks and, uh, and Middlesex to not have uh, any uh, element of tokenism in, in my involvement. Um, and I think that social work education in, in general is is moving away from tokenism and moving towards more meaningful practice. Um, and there's certainly been work from uh, organisations such as Shaping Our Lives with Peter Beresford kind of, you know, um, moving towards that kind of more meaningful involvement. Um, so I would hope that, that other universities are following that um, that movement. Thanks, Rebecca. What do you think, Sherry? I think ensuring that uh, there's a collaboration, um, that you're working together, that you've got a shared idea of what the outcomes are, um, that everybody's clear about what the task is at hand and they're offered the opportunity to plan and prepare for it, particularly in relation to teaching. 
for there to be a kind of clear idea of what the learning objectives are, so what the purpose is um, of the task, Um, and ensuring that everyone, you know, has the required knowledge, I guess, and and feel able to... um, to perform the task in a way that enables them to choose what parts of, you know, their knowledge or their expertise they want to share. I'm just thinking of the second part of the question, whether there's been any examples of involvement that has been tokenistic, for want of a better word. Is that something that has been a problem in the past? I would imagine that certainly in the beginning that incorporating the lift experience wasn't done as well as it could have been. And I think that that's partially to do with not necessarily knowing the, the structure in which to incorporate, uh, in which you're incorporating something which seems new, um, although the the knowledge base itself has obviously um, been something that, you know that's that's very clearly established, perhaps not recognised um, with parity. When you're thinking of the beginning, are you talking about 2002 when the, the the requirement came in? No, I'm talking about way before that. I certainly think in my own experience, my relation ship with um with working with and co-producing uh, teaching with uh, people with lived experience goes back way way be- way beyond that um but but back then it was seen as being innovative or kind of creative um rather than than it necessarily being honored as a a, a kind of parity in knowledge and expertise Thank you. In the beginning, it always makes me think of Genesis. That's the just the confusion. Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Rebecca, when you think back to your time as a social work undergraduate, what were you learning through engagement with experts by experience that you weren't learning solely on your practice placements and in your lectures, in your academic lectures? I think just learning about what people actually go through. You know, a- academically, you can you can understand. Um, what it might be like Um, but from an expert by experience you understand what it is like for them Um, and I think it's important obviously that we have a range of voices and we had a a range of experts by experience involved in in my course Um, because of course lots of people have different experiences but I think there's a difference between learning how um, how services should be and how services are and how services are experienced um, and so I think that's the real difference. And I think um, it's not a, a kind of them and us situation, but actually bringing in the, the lived experience alongside the learnt experience allows for a more holistic perspective. Thank you, Rebecca. Now, what I'm really keen to know about is the extent to which your experience of receiving support from social workers has affected your understanding of what good social work is. Has that changed? Has your understanding changed because you've received services? So I think through my social work education, I had a really good understanding of what good social work was. And I certainly saw that on my practice placements. But I think that becoming a service user taught me how those social work values are not just important, they're critical. And I just feel that it's really, really important that social workers are demonstrating the core values of the social work profession. So making sure that service users feel heard, they feel valued, they feel respected. You know, when I leave an interaction with a social worker, I'm not thinking, oh, that was a great model of crisis intervention. I'm thinking, 
did I feel heard? Did I feel valued? Did I feel respected? Did I feel uh, cared for? You know, those kind of value-based things are just so important. Are there areas of practice, Sherry, that um, you find it easier to engage experts by experience in? Um, You know, Rebecca's talked about physical disability. But I'm thinking, if you're thinking of, like, children and family services, you know, input from parents maybe who had who required support from social workers I'm guessing that might be a harder sell to to get somebody involved in that regard am I misunderstanding that or is that the reality no I think I think there's some truth in that I think um a lot of the user involvement uh, uh, and uh, experts by experience within the university we have um uh, the we have uh, groups uh, that that um of experts by experience who who are interested in engaging with the program and and kind of uh, you know co-producing and co-delivering the the teaching that doesn't always attract um the full range of of lived experience if you like and i think it it's probably fair to say that parents in particular um or where they've engaged with um, social work, having had children removed, often not, uh, you know, not uh, not heavily represented. Um, but we do try where possible to engage a broad range of lived experience. Uh, we do have um, adults who have had care experience, um, as well as adults who have, uh, who have engaged in adult social care. Thank you, Sherry. Rebecca, coming back to your article in the British Journal of Social Work, you wrote about how you found it therapeutic to share parts of your story and your experience of both being a social work student uh, and becoming a service user and then becoming an expert by experience. I'd love to know more about the therapeutic nature of your work as an expert by experience. You wrote about the five key components for recovery using an acronym CHIME, C-H-I-M-E. Could you explain what that stands for? Um, so... Chime is something that I learned about. I recently did a master's in mental health recovery and social inclusion. Um, And Chime is a model around personal recovery as opposed to clinical recovery. And it talks about connectedness, hope, identity, meaning in life and empowerment. Um, And again, I can only speak from my experience, but I think because of the support that I've received in being an expert by experience from Middlesex and from Oxford, it's felt like a therapeutic journey. There's been something about being able to own my experiences, being able to share my experiences that's been therapeutic for me personally um, in terms of helping me process it. Um, And I guess the movement from being a service user to an expert by experience has personally helped with my identity, I guess, of, you know, I've got I've got something to offer here. Um, I think from the connectedness as- aspect, there's something very helpful about connecting with other experts by experience. And um, there's something about being in that group, which is helpful. Um, and there's something about empowerment, I think, as well, um, in terms of um, feeling like you have a voice and feeling that that voice is valued um, and that your opinion is valued. Um that, that aspect has been therapeutic to me but I as I said I, I do think that's down to um, the teams that I work with. That's really interesting and when you mentioned connectedness my presumption was that it was to do with being connected with the profession that you qualified in so you're saying it's as much uh, about being connected with other experts by experience? 
yeah, so for me, yeah, that's been really um, beneficial. I guess in my own personal journey, there's something about connectedness to the wider profession that's helpful. But within the Chime model, um, <clears throat> it's talking about connectedness with people more, that, that kind of personal, interpersonal relationship. I'm making an assumption, but the you've talked about identity, meaning in life. I, I'm guessing that's about you know still feeling like you have a huge amount to contribute through your role. Um, hope, though, as the H in the acronym, I don't think you touched on. Is that something that? Yeah, there's there's something about um, wider hope that there's a hope um, for improving things for for future service users. Um, but there's something about hope for myself um, that you know, I've, I've got a, a role to play that there's, there's hope for my own future in terms of um, my career um, and, and, and what I'm doing. That's yeah, that's personally been beneficial for me. And I, I was listening to something on the radio recently. I think it might've been a program on BBC Radio Ulster and they were talking about the difference between hope and optimism and how hope is about, it's a, there's an active, you know, element to hope. It's not just something that you kind of, you know, you're not just sitting back kind of, thinking maybe things will get better so you're talking about yeah the role you have to play so I'm guessing that that is means that the hope that you are you're speaking of is something which is active and something that you're contributing absolutely and I think at the, at the moment in, in social work it, it's exciting you know this movement towards co-production you know people are bit people are being really involved um and um you know it's genuinely meaningful and that's that's exciting and that's hope and it's you know we're, we're moving forward um, and that will lead to better practice in the future. Rebecca, you're being so generous in terms of sharing your experience on this podcast, but also in the course, in the journal article. What I was thinking, though, about what you have shared, I mean, is there a vulnerability involved in that? Uh, I'm keen to know from the university's perspective, from Sherry's perspective, how expert pie experience are kept safe. But have you perceived, have you ever felt uh, vulnerable in terms of what you have been sharing, Rebecca? Um, I, I haven't known because I have set personal boundaries for myself, which is what I encourage all experts by experience to do about what you feel comfortable in sharing and what you don't. And ultimately, that's completely up to you. Um, and, you know, some experts by experience might not share much because they might be, you know, more focused on other aspects of the course that they're, that they're involved in um, rather than just explicitly sharing their own experience. Um, so I think by setting those personal boundaries, that's really helped me. But also the support that's provided. So if I am involved in sharing my own experience, you know, there's a kind of pre-meeting where we'll discuss it and then there's a debrief afterwards. So it feels supported, it feels contained, um, which is really important. Sherry, in terms of the university's role in keeping people safe, is that something which consideration is given to? Absolutely. Um, I think it's we ask a lot of experts by experience, they're sharing personal experience Um so it's really important that they feel in control and are making choices about what they want to share over what they don't want to share um, in the teaching. So, but I think it's important that there's clear communication um, that that uh, experts by experience are supported. They're involved in the planning and uh, you know the review of 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 uh, the um, the material that they're delivering. So that we're kind of equipping them or supporting them um, to develop the kind of skills around the personal boundaries that Rebecca talked about, thinking about what they're sharing um, and the purpose of that in relation to the teaching and the kind of learning outcomes for that teaching, um, which I think helps. Uh, I think it helps uh, ex- uh, experts by experience think about 
um, how much of themselves they 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 feel comfortable in sharing, um, so that so that it's it's never too much. And they've always there's always a point of call afterwards to to debrief about how how that went, um, and if there was anything we could do differently to kind of support that in the teaching. You'll often see conversations on social media, people talking about being asked to sit on panels and share their experience without being paid, as if it's just something you're going to want to do because, you know, it's your experience. You know, so absolutely no recognition of the value that's being contributed because of that. Now, my presumption is that experts by experience in a university context are being paid for their work. Is that the case? And and if so, where does the funding come from to actually cover that? Yeah, uh, of course, uh, experts by experience are paid on the same hourly rate as other um, hourly paid lecturers, certainly at Middlesex. Um, they go through the same HR processes and the funding for that comes from within the programme budgets themselves. So um, there is there are funds allocated within the programme to ensure that um, lived experience is represented. I'd seen a figure of £7,000 or £7,500. Was that in one of your pieces, Rebecca, in terms of money that comes from, I presume, government, if I got that right? Uh, yes. Yes, there's a budget that comes from the Department of Health. Um, and I do think that there's a need to, to update yeah, that, that budget and to review that. it. because, yeah. And I think also with the move to kind of genuine co-production where, where services, you know, experts by experience are being involved uh, throughout the course, um, that means uh, more involvement, um, which would require more funding. So, yeah, I think it's important that that's reviewed. We talked earlier on about meaningful inclusion compared to tokenistic inclusion. And thankfully, neither of you had any examples of tokenistic inclusion to share, which is good. But I'm thinking back historically, has there been a hesitancy to include experts by experience in shipping social work education and designing services? I mean, I'm thinking about, forgive me, correct me if this is wrong, but it's sort of a mental picture of, you know, some people kind of panicking about involving individuals who haven't been formally trained, uh, you know, in a view that academic knowledge is superior to experiential knowledge. Is that something which historically has been the case? Uh, I, certainly in my experience, there, you know, I wouldn't say that there's hesitancy. I, I, I think in the past it perhaps hasn't been done as well as um, it could have. Um, and like I said, it is a, a, a evolving process. I think historically, um, you know, perhaps greater weight has been given to um, kind of professional knowledge or academic knowledge. Um, but I think that's that's changing, and that's quite important. I think that you know, as as you mentioned before, um, around keeping people safe. I think perhaps that that. Um, that anxiety may may um, have been generated at times um, and created, uh, as you kind of uh, suggested, a hesitancy. Um, so kind of feeling responsible and needing to protect um, service users or lived experience educators from 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 sharing too much of themselves. Um, but I think that's changing. I think you know support understanding you know the the power of uh, the lived experience and being able to honor that people will make choices about what's best for them and you know uh, ensuring that they've got power and control over um how much of themselves they want to share um and i guess upskilling um 
lived experience, people with lived experience to deliver education. You know, as a social worker coming from a practice context, in order for me to teach, I, um, I'm acquiring a, a different training. So, uh, you know, sh- you know, learning how to teach from a practice perspective. So supporting um, lived experience educators to also develop those skills to think about um, learning outcomes and, and how what we have, uh, you know, myself from practice, what, what my practice experience is that lends itself to illustrating uh, the learning in the teaching. And having come from practice, do you feel that that makes it easier for you to see the links between academic knowledge and lived experience knowledge? It doesn't sound like it's been a challenge in terms of integrating those two um, forms of knowledge. Well, you know, I think certainly coming from practice, you know, one of the kind of central tenets of of practice is about, you know, co-producing, working with um, service users, supporting them from, you know, the place that they're at, you know, understanding their meaning making. So from 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 my perspective i don't think it's too far a leap i think also in education you know ideas of narrative pedagogy or experiential education those those um concepts are quite central to social work education anyway so um it's not um a big leap i don't think um to 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 think about that in relation to uh, live, lived experience um and and you know, the expertise that that lived experience brings. And when we think about academic knowledge, you know, academic research is published, it's preserved for the long term. It can be updated, it can be revised, it can even be discredited, but it's available on record. What I'm keen to know is how you ensure the knowledge of experts by experience is preserved for posterity and also whether it can be shared between institutions because uh, Rebecca, you're involved in Oxford Brooks and Middlesex, but you know, is there any way of your expertise being shared more widely than that? Does that happen? Are there networks for that? Um, well, there was a fantastic opportunity recently with um, the British Journal of Social Work that um, you know advertised for submissions from people specifically with lived experience, and that is a way of of valuing lived experience knowledge in the same way that academic knowledge. Is valued, and I suppose what I'm getting at is that brought that that article brought this to my attention. <laughs> Had that article not been there, I may not have made this episode. We may not have made this episode. So it's about yeah, making sure there is a, an opportunity to profile your experience. So beyond the likes of that BJSW article, I'm thinking, are there other opportunities? Maybe a better question to be asked would: Does more need to be done to share the expertise of experts by experience more widely across institutions? I think that we need to continue the fantastic work from the British Journal of Social Work um, and the other academic uh, journals, um, you know, need to be trying to integrate lived experience knowledge in the same way that they do academic knowledge and acknowledging the crossover between the two. Um, And I I do think, you know, personally, I'm seeing more and more evidence of lived experience knowledge being integrated throughout academia, which is really exciting. Um, And I just think that we need more opportunities for. for expert by experience to be involved in academia. Thanks, Rebecca. Sherry, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I think uh, incorporating or, or or ensuring that you're drawing the attention to um, user-led research. I think um, having a good 
I guess, a good background uh, knowledge of and informing students of the user-led movement um, and uh, user involvement groups that 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 contribute quite significantly. Um, I think it's also about a kind of cultural shift in in practice that that we're seeing because of the involvement of experts by experience um, and harnessing uh, harnessing that. Thank you, Sherry. Um, Rebecca, you mentioned a couple of times in earlier answers that, uh, you know, you're speaking about your own experience and your own experience alone. Because uh, I was really keen to know, is there ever a risk that experts by experience are expected by others to be able to speak beyond their own experience and on behalf of a wider group? Is that something that you have encountered? Um, not really. No, I, have, I haven't encountered that personally. I've only been a, ever been asked to speak about my own experience. And I think that's right. I don't think we can speak for others and I don't think that's helpful. So I think that's why it's important that um, that social work courses are recruiting a range of voices, a range of experts by experience um, so that different areas are covered. Um, I just, yeah, I, th- I think that's really important. Absolutely. And I'm thinking then if we flip that round, is there ever a risk that experts by experience, an individual may want to speak on behalf of others, extrapolate their experience to a wider group? Is that something that's, that has to be considered? All that I would say is that I think there are some uh, common, I guess, some, some common experience that people might share uh, that are not specific um, to kind of personal incidents of, of, um, of receipt of care that they might be able to talk to as a universal concept. Um, but I, you know, but I think you know, I think it's fairly reasonable to assume that most uh, lived experience educators recognise that their experience is their own and that that is, you know, that is the expertise that they that they bring um, in hope that you might be able to universalise at least some of that uh, in, in your practice or you might be able to see how that, that might be synergistic with other people's experiences. Thank you, Sheree. That's really helpful. Now, we're going to wrap up, but I have one last question, and I'd be really keen to have answers from both of you on this, if, if you can. Is there anything you would each like to see done differently to ensure that social workers better understand the circumstances of service users and better support them? So we've talked about how uh, experts by experience are involved at the moment, how courses are co-designed at the moment, but looking at areas where things could be further improved. Rebecca, have you any thoughts? I think the journey towards co-production is is never completed because it's a journey. So there's ongoing learning, there's ongoing development, and there's always opportunities for improvement. So I think just following that journey of co-production, really. Um, for me, I guess one of the things that I've learned through becoming a service user is how important the values of social work are. Um, you know, that experience um, of being on the other side of the table, so to speak, um, you know, feeling heard, feeling valued, uh, feeling respected is just so important. So I think, um, you know, integrating um, those values as much as possible. I think I feel that's done already, but I think, um, you know, value-based co-production is really valuable. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Rebecca. Sherry? I, I would say that, you know, honouring, continuing to honour the expertise that lived experience and experiential learning brings um, as as an equal body of knowledge, really. 